Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika and I am tired. <laughs> That's pretty standard. This is a show where I try and wake Mika up with the exciting stories of music history. Wake me up. Wake me <laughs> up inside. Can't wake up. Oh, call my name and save me from myself. Right? <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, this is this is Can't a wake up. <laughs> so this is a podcast where I'm trying to teach Mika all about music history. We're going episodically through the whole story of it, and now we're yeah. currently in the punk era you early can't punk. say the whole story because there's it's not the whole True. story the whole story of american music history right no, now it's not the whole story there's so much that we can't talk about well, that's true but the gist of it i guess the gist of the story of the american music history so today we're in punk again one last time one last punk episode I think that's One Direction. I can't remember. I don't know. But before that, we let Mika take over and do her own little show within our show called Mika is the Host Now. Mika is the Host Now. Um, That was very unenthusiastic. What do you want from (laughs) me? I'm here. I'm trying. Okay, okay. I have my I have my topic. Okay. It's you. Oh no. Yeah, because you're so cute and you're so nice to me. And I had a bad day at work and you cleaned the bathtub so I could take a bath. That was so great. You hadn't even had a good day and you still did that for me. It was so nice. It was really good. And that was a good bath. And yeah. I finished Book Lovers and I really liked Book Lovers. That was my first Emily Henry book. I really liked it a lot. Cool. This is just the singing episode. (laughs) That's your third song. We're three minutes in. But even with nothing on, I made you look. I made you look. That's all that's going on in my head recently. We're plugging Megan Trainer. It's a great song. It's a very catchy song. It's a great song. Yeah, it's a really good TikTok song. It's a song. great pop song. Yeah, and she knew exactly what she was yeah, doing. She made she it did. a good TikTok song, and she got all the TikTok people to be in it, and it's cute. <laughs> I mean, she has to compete against Taylor, so she's got to do everything she, did. she can. I mean, well, she didn't I make hear that song. Ten. I hear that song as on TikTok. I hear that song as often as I hear Antihero. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But, like, in the wider world, she didn't make the top ten with it. Maybe now she did, but not on release. Anyway. She's adorable. Mika no longer the host now? Yeah, stop letting me talk. (laughs) All right. Well, do you want to give a brief recap of what we've talked about in punk so far? No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Because I'm going to get it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's the point. The point is for me to get it wrong so you can laugh at me. You learn more through being wrong but trying anyway. Damn it, you're right. That's literally what I tell all of my new nurses. I'm like, I don't care if you're wrong, just tell me. <laughs> uh fine. Um my face is scratchy. Okay. 
punk was like a lot of emotion and a lot of just like yelling and not always very musical and then we talked about that one band where there's the one guy who like tried to have a solo rap career and I love him <laughs> and he died of an overdose RIP um and then that the is other the guy, important part about the Ramones <laughs> and then the other guy was a complete and total asshole and then the other two were like chill <laughs> yeah basically the Ramones yep that you s- nailed it yeah I did also what's important for this episode is to remember that punk was often political it was yes. The Ramones weren't really, but a lot of other punk bands were about like social change and like trying to like Bob Dylan, like anti man. Well, yeah, but the no punk one would call superstar. <laughs> no one would Bob call Dylan. Bob Dylan punk, but essentially similar vibes. Except Bob Dylan, like I learned recently, apparently Bob Dylan was never very active in any social campaign. Like he, he just would pretended do his like he music was. and then like move on. Like he oh was, no, that's the worst. The people who are like, I don't have to yeah. participate because I'm raising awareness. Screw he, that. He was, Bob Dylan is canceled. <laughs> well, <laughs> he was active in at one point, like early in his career in Alabama with like racial reconciliation stuff, desegregation type stuff. Bob Dylan is uncanceled. <laughs> but then like as he got older in his career, he didn't really do anything. He just made his music and that was kind of it. He might have donated money. I don't know. But anyway, this is not a Bob Dylan episode. This is the an king episode. king of punk. About the Sex Pistols. Oh, that's right. Because now it's another guy who's going to make yep. me mad. And I'm mostly, I'm doing this episode just because <laughs> I kind of like love this era of punk music. And I wanted to talk more about it. Uh, the Ramones were undoubtedly the most important punk band at the foundation of the genre. But the Sex Pistols generally disagree with that. Yeah, they, because they're self-centered assholes. <laughs> they think, And by they, it's the one guy. They think they were the true founders of punk. Of course they do. They definitely brought punk to the forefront in England, but I don't think they actually founded anything. What do you know, other than what I've already talked about, what do you know about the Sex Pistols? Nothing. You've not heard any of their music, you no. don't think? Okay. I know the Ramones way more than I know the Sex Pistols. That's probably fair. Yeah. <laughs> I think most people do. Oh my God, I can't. Uh. I feel like most people know the Sex Pistols' name. Yeah. More than they know the Ramones name, but they know really? the Ramones music more than they know the Sex Pistols music. That's what I would guess. Interesting. I don't know. Like, I feel I like most you. people in the world, if you play Blitzkrieg Bop, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I know this. But if you tell them, like, oh, this is the Ramones, they'd be like, who? Like, I, I feel like there's a disconnect there. Anyway, that's a side. I can't prove that. I just am not excited about. Well,. You know what? No, actually, I'm going to put my judgy hat back on. Oh, no. I've been listening to a lot of, oh, Mika is a host now. (laughs) Other podcast recommendation. I do not know if our audiences would overlap, but (laughs) if you're petty, listen to normal gossip. It's amazing. I mean, we've talked about what's your spaghetti policy a lot, and I don't know that our audiences overlap, but it's still a great show, and you should go listen to it. Well, I mean, like, at least, like, Jacob's you know been on Jacob. Yeah, so exactly. Know like Jacob is involved. And I've in, been on their show. So. Yeah. Like there is overlap. I don't know that there's <laughs> a lot of overlap with us and normal gossip, but if that does not get me through, we can bring a them day, on the show. Reach out to them. See Kelsey, if they want to be guest hosts. <laughs> Kelsey, come chat with us about the sex pistols. We're going to wait for you. <laughs> or Blondie. They might enjoy the Blondie episode. Is it petty? 
No, part of it maybe. We need something know. super petty. Okay. Well, anyway, that's the Sykes pistol. I'm going to put. I'm going to pretend that I'm. Well, I am going to let me be judgy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting my judgy cap okay. back on. Tell me about this this white man who thinks that he invented music. Well, as as is typical of our bands episode, we're going to go back in time. So have your sound effects ready. Sound check. <laughs> it's checked. It's there. Okay. I have sound. <laughs> okay, good. Steve Jones was born in London in September of 1955. He lived with his mother, who worked as a hairdresser, and his grandparents. His father, who was a professional boxer, left when Steve was two years old. Later on in life, Steve revealed in his autobiography that he was sexually abused by his stepfather, which he believes contributed to his eventual sex addiction and inability to form lasting relationships. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to (laughs) hard agree with that one. Yeah. He said, quote, I just turned into a kleptomaniac and a sex addict. I was addicted to everything. But that's not to say it made me a drug addict or an alcoholic. I think I already had that gene. It definitely pushed me to act out further. I was trying to fix a hole inside me. End quote. Is this the guy that I'm supposed to be mad at? No. Okay, good. (laughs) Don't set me up to like that guy. Like, I'm rooting for this poor man. I'm sure he's going to do some shitty stuff to other people, like, for sure. Maybe. I mean, he's he's definitely on the, like, lower end of the badness. Like, Sid Vicious and Johnny Rotten are the two who are, like, not great. Well, (laughs) Sid was a murderer. (laughs) Alleged. Murder. Oh my god. Steve and the drummer were just kind of like hanging out playing punk music, getting into typical punk shenanigans type stuff. Okay, great. Sid, not Sid. Well, who's the who are we talking? Steve? Steve. Steve Jobs. Steve, I'm Steve, rooting for you. Steve Jones. I'm rooting for you, man. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I'm sure that all of that impacted your coping mechanisms. So when he told his mother about the abuse, she told him that he was crazy. And he hasn't spoken with her since 2008. So she was also high-key abused. Probably, yeah. Abs-frickin-lutely. Yeah. As a teenager, Steve was really uninterested in school and started drifting into a life of petty crime. Also as a teenager, he picked up the guitar and was inspired by bands like the Stooges and the New York Dolls, which were the same bands that were inspiring the New York City punk scene. Do you remember anything about those two bands? No. The New York Dolls were kind of like glam rock. They kind of had the like leather and the Hell platform yeah. shoes and that kind of stuff. Oh and my then God. the Stooges were Iggy Pop and I think Detroit. And he was like cutting himself on stage and like Ooh. being just generally crazy. No, that's okay. I think Iggy is generally considered the founder of punk. Like that band kind of, them and one other band called MC5 kind of like launched it in Detroit. Anyway. I want to see some outfits from New York City dolls. They're just the New York dolls. New York City dolls (laughs) with the with the platform shoes. I don't know if that's I think that's true, but I might be wrong. I might be like mixing them with Kiss. I don't know. But I know they were known for like their aesthetic and their general vibe more than their music. Okay. Since Steve was broke, he acquired quite a few musical instruments by stealing them from established musicians. At one point, David Bowie was playing his last show as the character Ziggy Stardust in London. Steve and his friends posed as road crew and stole some drum cymbals, a few amplifiers, and a couple of microphones from the truck that was parked outside of the venue. Why are you just getting the cymbals? Like, I don't don't (laughs) condone any of it, but, like, 
what? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, if you're gonna steal from a musician, at least one that doesn't have to pay to, like, the label's gonna pay to restock all that. So that's better than stealing from, like, a yeah. random garage band where now this, like, poor minimum wage worker has to go out and buy a new microphone. I mean, yes. But mostly I'm just like, but yeah, stealing is bad. Don't do it. <laughs> like, mostly I'm just trying to understand. Maybe that was like an add on because they are already carrying amplifiers and like microphones. They're just like, this will be funny. This is all we can take. I do think he's an admitted kleptomaniac. So I think a large part of it for him was just the like rush of stealing it more sure. than actually needing it. Sure. But he did need it too. Um, so Steve eventually ended up with 14 criminal convictions, and he spent a year in a remand center, which I guess is an English thing. I don't really know. I guess it's like juvie in England. If we have any British listeners, correct me. Also, Google is there. Yeah, but, you know, it's much more fun to get audience engagement. Just to have people be like, you're dumb. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Use the internet. I think that that's actually a theme of the last few years is that it's not people's jobs to educate you. <laughs> yeah, true. But he said being in the remand center, what, however you, remand, remand, I don't I probably remand center. Remand. But he said. Making you into a new man. He said that was better than being at home, which makes sense. Yikes. In the early 1970s, Steve decided to form a band with a couple of friends, a guy named Paul Cook and Wally Nightingale, which is the best name. That's a good name. Wally Nightingale. <laughs> That's so good. Sing, sweet Nightingale. Sing, Wally, sing. <laughs> At that time, he was the singer, Paul played drums, and Wally played guitar. They named themselves The Strand, which they later changed to The Swankers. I don't know. What? I don't know. It's a teenage band. <laughs> I think like right. swank, swanky is like fancy, right? So maybe it's a play off that. I don't know. Okay. Wally left the group, so Steve grabbed a Gibson Les Paul, a guitar that he'd eventually help make iconic, and he taught himself the basics using one rule, no Beatles chords. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's... What constitutes a Beatles chord? Just the most uh, chords? Have you heard the the Axis of Awesome, the three chord song? Yes. It's basically that. It's those Just three chords. Just don't do that. Yeah, like the typical pop chords. Okay. So that's that's Steve. Okay. All right, quick rewind. <laughs> Paul Cook was born in July 1956 in London. I honestly can't find out all that much about his childhood. He's kind of a more like private person. Good for him. But he started playing drums when he was a teenager, and he met Steve at secondary school, where they'd often skip class together. They hung out often and played covers of songs that they liked. One day, while skipping class, they decided to form a band together. Steve and Paul often hung out at a clothing store in West London that was called Let It Rock. <laughs> The shop was based around kind of like a 1950s teddy boy themed aesthetic. What is a teddy boy? You don't remember that from, we talked about it in like the British invasion. The no. Beatles type. It was kind of like, teddy boy was kind of like that street biker type stuff, like leather. Like it, sailors came, went to America and kind of like picked up the style from the early rockers and brought it back. So people in the port cities like Liverpool and Manchester kind of like got the style from the sailors and it kind of spread around. And they were 
at they had beef with I think it was called the mods who are like a little bit more prim and proper if I'm remembering correctly. Again, any any British fans out there, feel free to let me know how wrong I am. Tweet me at Sound of History underscore. That's how to get in touch with us. Teddy Boy clothing included drape jackets reminiscent of 1940s American zoot suits. <laughs> what? Usually in dark shades, sometimes with a velvet trim collar and pocket flaps and high waist drain pipe trousers, often exposing the socks. I'm basically just from what I'm gathering here is basically early Rolling Stone style is kind of Teddy boy style. I'm right. a, I want a zoot suit. I'm obsessed. <laughs> we ready to move on from Teddy boys. Are you kidding? We're talking about fashion I'm thriving. So let it rock. The store that they hung out in all the time was founded and operated by a guy named Malcolm McLaren. You following? Because Malcolm's Malcolm. very important. Malcolm runs the, the store. Yes, the he store. started Let It Rock. Some that sounds like a bad Disney Channel movie. <laughs> Camp Rock. <laughs> I can't hear Camp you. Camp Rock! <laughs> Some of his designs appeared in movies like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, cool. He started to make leather... He started to make leather-based clothes with studs, which kind of started a bit of a craze in the early 70s. Is he the first one to do that? Probably not, but he probably helped popularize it. In 1973, he went to New York for work where he met the New York Dolls. He was very inspired by their clothes and their general aesthetic and eventually became their manager. That's so funny. But before Malcolm moved to New York, Steve asked him if he would manage The Strand, which, remember, was their band. Yeah. Malcolm kind of half-heartedly agreed, but he did help them rent their first rehearsal space. He also connected them with an art student and sometimes Let It Rock employee named Glenn Matlock, who became the band's bassist. In 1974, Malcolm and his business partner rebranded their shop to capitalize on a different trend that they saw happening. They started getting a bunch of fetish-inspired stuff and billed themselves as Quote, specialist in rubberware, glamourware, and stageware. Hell yeah. They renamed their shop Sex. <laughs> just all capital letters, too. Honestly, I love the audacity of this yeah. guy. I'm, I'm. Hold on to that feeling because you're not going to like him by the end of this episode. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, generally, men with audacity is 50 <laughs> 50. After his stint in New York, Malcolm became super interested in the punk scene, particularly the Ramones in television. I don't know if you remember television, but they were kind of like the pre-Ramones. Like I don't their think singer, that I liked them. I don't think you did either. Their singer was the first one to start wearing like leather jackets, and like he kind of set that whole trend going. Okay. When he moved back to London, Malcolm took a new interest in that little band called The Strand that used to hang around his shop. And now we're turning to, like, exploitation vibes. So. Slightly, but it gets more there. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is tame compared to where it goes. This is the yellow flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Malcolm knew that the band still needed a frontman. Front man. Malcolm tried to recruit a member of the New York Dolls to come and front the band, but those plans fell through, so they started to look for a singer locally. According to Glenn, who was the bassist, everyone had long hair back then, so they just stop anyone that they saw with short hair and ask if they consider themselves a singer. 
<laughs> that was how they started to get auditions. That's hilarious. Just trying to get anyone going against the mold. That's when someone saw a young kid who sometimes hung around the shop wearing a Pink Floyd t-shirt. But he had written, I hate at the top. <laughs> so it said, I hate Pink Floyd. And he cut the eyes out of the picture that was on it. Oh my God. What? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it <laughs> that's amazing malcolm asked the kid to come meet steve and paul at a local pub steve said about that meeting quote he came in with green hair i thought he had a really interesting face i liked his so look. he's ugly <laughs> yeah i liked his look he had this i hate pink floyd t-shirt on and it was held together with safety pins john had something special but when he started talking he was a real asshole but smart <laughs> End quote. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I want that shirt, but oh, no. <laughs> they conducted an impromptu audition that featured John singing over Alice Cooper that they played on the jukebox. And after that, he was asked to join the band. Wait, like, All right. it's just wild how, like, random and unprofessional that was and how it spawned so much like because of that little him mm -hmm. singing over a song on a jukebox like cemented him in music history like, it's well just, it's really indicative it's of wild. the fact that they chose him because of his attitude his style, and his yeah. like style and it wasn't based on like a love of music sure. or I guess I guess performing yes he liked to perform yeah, like he's, that's he's a, definitely a good performer yeah like the performance of the style and the attitude but that's i don't know it's telling it is I, it's just like doing this show i'm always just surprised at how innocuous things are and like that's that probably yeah. stuff like that probably happens every single day of people just being like oh this guy looks kind of cool maybe he'll want to join my band and then it's like somehow it worked out so well for these guys but yeah. it didn't for 99 percent of other people sure. it's, it's just it's fun I mean, probably not for people who are trying to make it, but I think it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, the guys in the band, which I think at this point is Glenn, Steve, and Paul, all laughed at his audition since John had no musical background, but Malcolm convinced them to let him into the band. Again. Yeah. You'll, 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 you'll pick up pretty quickly... Malcolm is completely uninterested in the music side of things. Yeah. His is more about like the social aspect of what's happening. I kind of think it's a bummer that like all of the actual members of the musical band was kind of like, oh. Yeah. They probably would have let him in anyway. He's in the, they, it seems like they were struggling to find someone yeah. who like meshed with them. Steve gave him the nickname Johnny Rotten because his teeth were so bad. Steve said, quote, a couple of them in the front looked green. They just looked rotten. They weren't uh, fangs or nothing. It was no biggie, but I guess it stuck, end quote. Uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> green teeth is a biggie. Yeah. <laughs> I guess just in his mind, there. he's like, it wasn't like I didn't like him less because of it. It was just an interesting thing about him. That's kind of what he was That's saying. What, yeah. Like he wasn't going to. I think he was trying to like downplay the fact that it seems like he was making fun of him by calling him Johnny Rotten. But he's like, no, nah, it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. So with the addition of Johnny Rotten, the band was complete and they were ready to start playing shows. But first, let's go back in time and talk about Johnny. John Lydon was born in London in January of 1956. His parents were working class and immigrated from Ireland. 
They moved into a flat that was right next to the old Arsenal Stadium. So John has been an avid Arsenal fan for his whole life. Wow, you have something in common yeah, right? with Johnny Rotten. <laughs> it might be your only common yes, trait. probably. <laughs> he was pretty poor. His family had to share an outside toilet with the general public. Oh, well, I mean, that's you have two things in common now. What? <laughs> <laughs> Never shared an outside toilet. <laughs> At age seven, he contracted spinal meningitis. Oh, my God. <laughs> never had spinal meningitis this is insane surprise this is just about me (laughs) (laughs) before we met i was in the sex pistol (laughs) man i'm gonna get a lot of money (laughs) and then i got invisalign and they kicked me out (laughs) (laughs) so spinal meningitis put him in and out of the out of comas for almost a year and affected his eyesight and damaged most of his early memories. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When he returned to school, he was very shy and got bullied quite a bit. Oh my gosh. His mother was often sick, and his dad was often away on job sites, so John had to take care of his three younger brothers. He got his first job at age 10, working as a taxi dispatcher. As a teenager, he started to find some refuge in music, listening to bands that his mother hated, like Alice Cooper, The Stooges, and David Bowie. He attended a secondary school where he was at first bullied, but eventually started to fight back. He started to, quote, break out of the mold. He claims he was expelled for, quote, daring to question teachers and refusing to toe the line, end quote. Okay. But that's, Johnny exaggerates, so may not be completely accurate, but also at the time... You could get expelled quite easily. Like, apparently, a teacher demanded that he cut his long hair, so he did, but also dyed it green. <laughs> and that's, like, one of the things that he was pushing back against authority, so he got expelled. It was around she that... She didn't say, don't dye your hair green. That's This is <laughs> the first and last time I'm defending this child, <laughs> but... Because there is, I think in the Blondie episode that we do in a couple episodes, there is a guy who got expelled because he didn't cut his hair. Like you, that that was something that could happen back then, which is wild to me. I mean, yeah. I probably I could have gotten expelled for not wearing collared shirts at one point in my school. Yeah, so, like I get it. But like you can rack up dress code violations on all sorts of stupid things. Like yeah. <laughs> it was around that time, around the time that he got expelled, that he was invited to join the fledgling band that Malcolm was managing. Johnny described the state of Britain in the mid in the mid seventies that kind of inspired a lot of what the Sex Pistols did. He said, quote, Early seventies Britain was a very depressing place. It was completely run down. There was trash on the streets, total unemployment. Just about everybody was on strike. Everybody was brought up with an education system that told you point blank that if you came from the wrong side of the tracks, then you had no hope in hell and no career prospects at all. Out of that came pretentious me and the Sex Pistols, and then a whole bunch of copycat wankers after us. Oh my end God. quote. See, in the quote, He's he got said, the pretentious, right? <laughs> he said, out of that came the pretentious moi, like the French me. However, you say that. Moi? Moi. Yeah, there you go. So, oh, so he's not calling himself pretentious. No, he is, but he just said oh. the French word instead of me because he's, he's pretentious. pretentious. <laughs> That's why I stumbled on that part I'm of the sorry, quote. Did you not like, know how to that? say moi? I did. I've just also had. Two cocktails tonight. <laughs> My brain is slow. Okay. 
Around this time, the band decided on a name. They decided on the Sex Pistols, which was a modified version of a name that they had been informally going by. And I'm guessing the sex came from the sh- like mm-hmm. the store, and I think they were going by the name the Pistols, and so they just kind of combined it. Mm. Not very, not very like groundbreaking stuff, but band names never are. It's not the worst. <laughs> no. They started to write their own songs, usually with Glenn Matlock, who we haven't really talked about, but he's kind of like he's the bassist. He's he was a big deal in the early band. Glenn was writing the melodies, and Johnny was writing the lyrics. Their first collaboration, which was a song called Pretty Vacant, was almost solely written by Glenn, but Johnny tweaked the lyrics a bit. And got writing credits. Well, credit was shared equally amongst the four of them, (laughs) which is nice. That's a nice touch. Beatles never did that. Here is Pretty Vacant. I will say they are musically better than the other early punk bands we have played. This is also later in their career, though, because that's Sid Vicious that you just saw. So, like, this is later. pretty vacant their music's good like i like their songs you can like their music and not like them personally it's important to note that the song wasn't released for a while the band in that video isn't even the same members as this version of the sex pistols that we're talking about Mm -hmm. glenn also arranged their first gig which was at his art college they played the gig on november 6 1975 in support of a pub rock group called bazooka joe (laughs) <laughs> that's a good name <laughs> yeah i it bazooka joe i can't remember who it was but it featured like a former prominent english musician too like he was in bazooka joe we're gonna get out the google well, you machine what you might not recognize the guy's name which i didn't know until i was listening to an interview with paul cook and he mentioned it and i was like oh that's cool adam ant who was in the new wave group Adam and the Ants. I didn't think you would know him, but he's like a big, he was a pretty big artist in England in the new wave era. So what came first, Bazooka Joe the band or like Bazooka Joe I'm assuming the comic strip I'm assuming they named themselves after the comic strip character. Bazooka, Zooka, Bubblegum. Now I want to play that game. (laughs) I don't remember how. I don't know. It's... Anyway, opening for them at Glenn's Art College was the first ever Sex Pistols show. Bazooka Joe agreed to let the Pistols use their instruments, since the Pistols didn't have any of their own stuff. Oh no! The Pistols started playing by started by playing some cover songs, and the people there said they were musically unimpressive, aside from being very loud. 
Is this when they destroyed all the other people's instruments? Yes. Before the Pistols could start playing some of the music that they had written, Bazooka Joe pulled the plug on their performance, which they did because the Pistols were trashing Bazooka Joe's equipment. And that resulted in a brief fight between the two bands on stage. Fair. I'd be pissed. Yeah, which would pissed. Which would have been very fun as a member of the audience to just yeah. see the two bands get in a fight. Dude. The Pistols played more shows at clubs and colleges and started to attract a following, mostly by word of mouth. They still hadn't officially released any music or any recordings at all, but Malcolm had larger ideas for the group than just musical success. Malcolm was a huge fan of something called the Situationist Movement, which was a kind of strange group of revolutionaries in Europe made up of mostly avant-garde artists. Okay. They were basically Marxist in their thinking and heavily critiqued capitalism. And this all culminated in, a 1960, in 1968 in Paris, where situationists led an uprising that led to weeks of civil unrest and strikes throughout the city. Okay. Kind of a large part of the situationist movement was the idea of, I guess I would call it like performance art, like spectacle, like mm-hmm. creating something that like catches people's attention. Like, have you mm-hmm. seen the the thing where people are randomly going to museums and throwing soup on famous paintings. Yes. It, that's a similar idea. Like, it's just kind of like this absurd performance art thing that catches people's attention. Mm-hmm. And since they were all avant-garde artists, they were trying to do that to like inspire this anti-capitalism trend kind of thing. Okay. I, I'm pretty like, I, that's really dumbing it down, but that, we're not going to go super far into the situation. That's awesome. But... I'm dumb. Great. <laughs> That's what Malcolm was really into. So kind of keep that in mind when you think about the direction he pushes the Sex Pistols. So Trying to use them as this kind of like avant-garde performance art more than a band with people in it. I'm already calling bullshit on him because he is a store owner and a band manager who's going to profit off of both of those avenues. 100%, yeah. In a super capitalistic way. Like... Yeah. Major bullshit. <laughs> uh-uh. Like it's hypocritical, but that is kind of how he viewed the band. Just remember that when you see like what happens with the sex business. Uh yeah, okay. So we won't get super deep into that philosophy, but Malcolm supported their ideas. At the very least, he supported the heart behind it. He saw the pistols as a way to push that kind of anti-government, anti-establishment message to an audience who wouldn't otherwise hear about it. I guess I get that. Because, like, the London youth aren't going to be listening to this kind of philosophical movement from France. Like, they're not going to care about it. So this is his way to kind of introduce it to these people who would, like, maybe actually do something about it. He started to teach Johnny about these different ideas. Some of Malcolm's friends, who also believed in the idea of social revolution, started to work on publicity for the group. So, before the Sex Pistols even put out a song, they were pretty well-known in the press. And Malcolm's friends were, like, artists and stuff, so they were doing mm-hmm. graphic design and making posters and all kinds of, like, stuff that, like, really helps with the word of mouth mm-hmm. following. By 1976, they were starting to really get attention, and Johnny Rotten was pushing the boundaries of performance as far as they would go. He would walk off stage, sit with the audience, throw chairs around, and smash the equipment of the headliners. God. In an interview, Steve said, quote, actually, we're not into music. We're into chaos, end quote. 
Which one's Steve? Is, Steve was the Steve first is one. The we talked first about. one. Yeah. Soon they were playing in more prominent clubs before getting banned from basically all of them for starting fights. They claimed that the audience was ready to fight, and they just provided the spark. I mean, probably yeah. true, but <laughs> <laughs> you still you can't do that. So. In April of 1976, the Ramones released their debut album and changed the punk scene. It's hard to overstate the importance of that record, but Johnny still says it did not influence the Pistols at all. He said, quote, the Ramones were all long-haired and of no interest to me. Right, because they had long hair, therefore they were mainstream, <laughs> and you were an Which agent of chaos. they didn't. Dee Dee didn't have long hair, but whatever. The Ra- Okay, uh, I didn't like their image, what they stood for, or anything about them. End quote. Which is just not true, but (laughs) we'll let him think that. In May, they first started trying to record some demos, and around this time, other punk groups who saw the Pistols as the future of music started to form and were opening for them. So they were. It's so amusing to me that, like, literally, they do not have, like, a musical, like, catalog. No. And he's, like, bullshitting on, like,. (laughs) other bands and being like no we started punk like you still do not have a musical catalog (laughs) the Ramones have already released an album that made it to England and you have not recorded like there's no way you can say you started this god but anyway they were really kind of like at the forefront of the English punk boom like they were the they were the band that all of the other little punk bands like gravitated around and kind of built off of The Pistols were signed to a two-year contract with EMI in October. In November of 1976, the Sex Pistols released their first single called Anarchy in the UK. Here is Anarchy in the UK. Also have the album song, so you might have just heard it on that. Maybe in the punk episode, I don't know. It's god awful. What? (laughs) It's not bad. When you compare it to the other punk songs we've listened to, it's not terrible. Like his voice isn't great, but it's a very punk voice. Anarchy in the UK. Guessing you're not a fan of that one. No. (laughs) Although it wasn't the first punk song that was released in the UK, other bands had gotten there first, it was the first one that tied this new punk movement to political ideas. Okay. In December of 1976, they appeared on a morning show called Today. Honestly, like, what? That's so funny. They would go on, like, a main street, like, a morning talk show. (laughs) Yeah, and it ended about how you would expect. They were booked last minute when fellow EMI artist Queen had to drop out because of Freddie Mercury's dental appointment. (laughs) This is what happened on that live show. Yes, thank you. I was hoping that we'd get to watch it. (laughs) 
honestly like what a boss move to like hey you're the last minute addition because freddie mercury needs to go to the yeah. dentist <laughs> like oh my god the new I love phrase that. they tell me they're heroes not the nice clean rolling stones you see they are as drunk as i am they are clean by comparison they're a group called the sex pistols and i'm surrounded now by all of them just let us see the sex pistols in action why are there so many of them? They had a... I'll pause it so you can... They had a group of people who would always follow them around. They were basically like groupies, and but they were just kind of like a part of the whole scene. They had like a core group. They had a name to something gang or something. I don't know. I, I th- it might be later in the episode. but So that's just like members of their entourage, essentially. Doesn't that seem uh, to be slightly opposed to their... Anti-materialistic view of life? Uh, more to marry Really? Oh, yeah. Well, tell me more about it. You're fucking spent, haven't we? I don't know, have you? Yeah, yeah. it's all gone. Really? Down yep. a boozer. Really? Mm-hmm. Good Lord. Now, oh, I want gosh. to know one thing. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Or are you just making it, no, trying to make gone. me laugh? It's gone. Really? Yeah. I need no, to turn I mean on closed captioning. <laughs> <laughs> Too British yeah, for you. Yes, it is. I can't it's understand so what they're saying. It's not an option. He was saying something about, like... You've signed this label, like, isn't that against the anti-materialistic mindset? And someone in the band was like, well, we spent the money already, or something like that. It's what? Nothing, a rude word. Next question. No, no, what was the rude word? Shit. Was it really? Good heavens, you frightened me to death. What about you girls behind? Are you, uh... Are you worried, or are you just enjoying yourself? Enjoying myself. Are you? Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought you were doing. Yeah. I always wanted to meet you. Did you really? Yeah. We'll meet afterwards, shall we? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. dirty yeah. son. Yeah. You dirty old man. Well, well keep going, too. Keep going. <laughs> Go on, you've got another five you seconds. Di- Say something outrageous. You dirty bastard. Go on, again. <laughs> you dirty fucker. What a clever boy. What a yeah. fucking rotter. Well, that's it for tonight. The <laughs> other rocker, Abel, and I'm saying nothing else about him, will be back around. tomorrow. I'll be seeing you soon. I hope I'm not seeing you again. From me, though, good night. Uh, there was no meat to that interview. They're all just like, I probably can't say that and us keep our clean rating. They're just like, F you yep. to every question. And then the guy's like, oh, what else do you think? And they're like, you effing suck. Like, shit. Like, what? <laughs> it makes no sense. So that... That interviewer is a guy named Grundy, and he was a well-known alcoholic, so he was also very drunk during that interview. Honestly, I liked I, and just I liked like him egging them on. To like I be liked outrageous. him. He honestly, he kind of kept his chill. Yeah, like I think that that was great. <laughs> so that incident on live television changed their future. They became heroes in the underground scene and hated by the media. Literally, but like for what? They have nothing to say there. They're just like, it's just, I, I hate think it's you. The idea that they went on to national television and cussed. That didn't happen back then. That was like, especially live television. This was before you could censor it. Like that just went out to the general okay. population. I guess I get that. I guess I get that actually. Yeah. So like all of the... The underground scene was like, yeah, look at those rebels going on live to like not they're not a big band at this point. Like this could like torpedo their future in the industry. But they're like, all right, we're going to do it anyway. We don't care. I 
I feel very hypocritical <laughs> right now because I just want like I just cannot believe the power of say like the power that we yeah. place on a word it's like weird. they have nothing to say <laughs> why do we care that these guys just like say the f word like i why do i care <laughs> why do i care that i can't just say it right now i don't know i guess it's because i don't know if you want that <laughs> in your show but like come on so after this they had national media attention all of it negative, but that suited them just fine. Again, there had to be other things that were going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just think the media didn't care about the other stuff that was going on until that happened. They're like, oh, now we have a story out of this. But no, anyway, like like there were other more, more important, important things. But I mean, that thing. is actually how like our media fa- like works yeah. now. too. Whatever so. gets, it worse now. Whatever gets clicks is going to. Anyway, I hate hate it. Steve later said about that incident, quote, Grundy was the big dividing line in the Sex Pistols story. Before it, we were all about the music. But from then on, it was all about the media. In some ways, it was our finest moment. But in others, it was the beginning of the end. They're also like so anti-media and like, I am for the media. Like, what? What? (laughs) In terms of the Sex Pistols having any kind of long-term future, this sudden acceleration was the worst thing that could possibly happen. Oh. I still think we'd have got... This is still the Steve quote, by the way. Okay. I still think we'd have got really big in the end without it, but the whole process would have been much slower and maybe less traumatic. I guess it was never our destiny to be a normal band who made a few albums and then fade away. Did he say traumatic or dramatic? Traumatic. Oh, God. Grundy was defined... Grundy was definitely the point where everybody's egos started to spin out. McLaren's probably the worst of all. That's Who's Malcolm. That? Oh, okay. That's the end of the quote. Was he in that video? Malcolm? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. I don't think so anyway. I would guess not because I think he's an older guy. Maybe not that much older. Maybe like mm-hmm. 10 years older than them. They probably don't want to be seen with their like manager yeah. on the media. I would rather be seen with that blonde goth girl as well. <laughs> in January of 1977, they were dropped by EMI. Then, in February of 1977, word leaked that Glenn was leaving the Sex Pistols. At first, it was stated that he was being kicked out because he liked the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) Really, he was kicked out because he wasn't punk enough. Which is the same same in their (laughs) eyes. (laughs) Despite writing most of the songs on their upcoming album, he was replaced by someone that Johnny knew from school. Although he couldn't play bass at all, he looked like a punk, so he was brought in and quickly became a punk poster boy. Said? Yeah, we're going back in time. (laughs) Simon Ritchie, John Simon, or John Beverly, no one is sure of his real name, was born in 1957 in London. His father was a semi-professional trombone player in the London jazz scene, as well as a guard at Buckingham Palace. Soon, <laughs> soon after he was born, Simon and his mother moved to Ibiza, where his father never showed up there and never provided them any financial support. Where is that? I've always thought that that was I think not it's off Spain. in Europe. It's in Europe. I think it's an island off Spain, maybe. We're pulling out the map. We're off Italy. It's Mediterranean, maybe. I don't know. 
but he was supposed like they went there with the understanding that his dad was going to get some money and meet them there and he just mm-hmm. never showed up it is in spain okay in spain not like off the coast it is on the coast of spain but okay. it is attached okay i thought it was an island wait It is an island. Cool. It is very much an island. It look. <laughs> it is definitely an island. I just, just had to. I had to zoom out. Okay. It just zoomed me in really, really, really close. <laughs> okay. Don't get don't get lost in maps. We're I still like, going here. I like maps. <laughs> what are all of these lines in the water? Do you know what those lines are? A current. A boat path. I don't know. What is that line? Look so now. It looks like that. I don't know. <laughs> Does anyone know what the lines in like Google Maps waters are? So his mother, when they were in Ibiza, started to use drugs and kind of just completely forgot about him. When they returned to England, he started to hang out in the streets of London and fell in love with the pre-punk musicians that everyone else liked, like the New York Dolls, the Stooges, that whole kind of scene. In 1975, at school, he met Johnny Rotten, who nicknamed him Sid Vicious after a hamster that had bit his father's hand. Oh. My. God. (laughs) Apparently, Sid hated the name, but it stuck. And he's known by that forevermore? Yes. No one even really knows his real name. (laughs) He's just Sid Vicious. Wow. Uh, John and Sid would sleep in vacant buildings and sometimes busk for money. I don't know what that means. Just playing on street corners for tips. Oh, yeah. I think you have to tell me that every yeah. time. <laughs> when Johnny joined the Sex Pistols, Sid became one of their most visible followers. They had a group that always followed them around called the Bromley Contingent. Is that who was in the video? Yes. Sid was known for his often violent conduct at shows. When Glenn was kicked out of the band, Sid took his place as bassist. I don't think anyone really knows the actual reason that Glenn left the Pistols. He claims he chose to leave because he was sick of just kind of like the whole circus of it. Everyone generally agrees that there was tension between him and Johnny Rotten. But like, who doesn't Johnny have tension with? Right. They claim Malcolm encouraged that tension as a creative mechanism. Honestly, like good for Glenn for getting out of there. Yeah, for real. I hope that he had a long, fulfilling, healthy life. Eventually, Steve would admit that it was a mistake that Glenn left and they would have been around much longer if he'd stayed. But now we're in the era of Sid Vicious and the Sex Pistols. Sid kind of split the band in two. On one side was Paul and Steve, who thought that Sid was crazy, and on the other side was Sid and Johnny, who thrived in that chaos. Behind it all, we have Malcolm who's kind of just pulling strings and encouraging that tension and aggression to create a more chaotic performance art piece. Yes. With the exit of Glenn, Malcolm was basically able to form the pistols into whatever he wanted them to be. Glenn was the only one who was truly like a thought for himself against the grain. I think Glenn was the one who was like really into the music of it all. And then Malcolm just couldn't care less about the music so he was pushing them into these other things and glenn was like pushing back against that so when he left it was just all on malcolm to be like no you're gonna go do this crazy 
Like, I don't want to make it like other people probably were like interested in the, like Steve right. and Paul probably were like trying to be good musicians yeah. and like getting into it. But like they're not going to push for that. They're just going to yep. fall in line. Glenn didn't. I think it's just funny. Glenn's over here actually like pushing against the man and yeah. the man's like, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> so for Malcolm, it wasn't about the music. It never was. It was an image thing. Sid was just a little Johnny and Johnny was completely bought into the whole Malcolm ideology. At this point, according to Steve, the Pistols became basically a comic strip. It was about sensationalism and scandal. The Pistols also had a very negative impact on Sid. Sure, he was a little bit crazy beforehand, but according to the others in the band, it was like a childlike craziness, all giggly and unserious. Yeah. Never mind that he blinded a girl when he threw, threw a beer bottle at the stage that shattered, and he once beat a music reporter with a metal pipe. Okay, yeah, <laughs> just little boys doing little boy things. <laughs> when he became a pistol, he was all of a sudden a pop star with attention, adoration, and exposure, oh, which is not what you want to throw in to that mix of who Sid Vicious was. Early in 1977, Sid met Nancy Spungen who was an emotionally fragile drug addict and sometimes prostitute from New York. Oh, Nancy. Nancy left home at 17, moved to New York, and supported herself as a part-time music journalist and clothing store employee. Go, Nancy. But really, she was a groupie. Go, little rock star. She followed bands like Aerosmith and the Ramones before flying to London with the Heartbreakers and soon met Sid. They fell in love, much to the annoyance of the other Pistols. It's widely assumed that Nancy introduced Sid to heroin and their emotional codependency alienated them from the rest of the group. Johnny later said, quote, We did everything to get rid of Nancy. She was killing him. I was absolutely convinced this girl was on a slow suicide mission. Only she didn't want to go alone. She wanted to take Sid with her. She was evil. End quote. In March, the Pistols signed to A&M Records. And then they promptly went to the A&M offices, where Sid smashed a toilet, cutting his foot, and tracked blood around the office. What? While Johnny verbally abused the staff, and Steve hooked up with a girl in the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> As you do to your new, <laughs> at your new label. Okay, Steve. Okay, everybody. Oh, God. Later, at a concert, they got into a fight with another band, and one of Johnny's friends threatened the life of a good friend of A&M's director. <laughs> so the label dropped them and destroyed the already pressed copies of their next single. That's petty. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> good for them. I mean, they stuck it out longer than most would, like, considering what happened at their office and they still stuck it out with them. Like, that's... They probably knew what they were getting into at that point. Yeah. So then they signed with Virgin Records, their third label in nine months. That's ironic. <laughs> Virgin tried to release the second single, but workers at the pressing plant went on strike in protest of the song's content. The record was finally released in June of 1977, coinciding with the celebration of the 25th anniversary of the Queen's Ascension. Johnny called the song his new national anthem. Okay. The, the backlash was immediate. 
It was banned by record stores and radio stations, making it the most heavily censored song in England's history. Hmm. And all of that just made the Pistols very happy. Johnny called them the only honest band in history, while Steve just pretended that they weren't a political band, <laughs> saying he didn't even know the name of the prime minister. No, Steve. Here is that song called God Save the Queen. God Save the Queen. That's really ironic that that's like also the title of their national anthem. Yeah, which they did on purpose. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of this culminated in the Sex Pistols' first album called Nevermind the Bullocks, Here's the Sex Pistols, which was released in October of 1977. The group had three top ten singles, and the album eventually reached number one in November, which is wild. Despite that success, the Pistols found it hard to play in the UK. Sid's declining drug habit, or I guess accelerating drug habit, gave them a bad reputation and they were banned from playing many different places. In January of 1978, they embarked on their first US tour that would prove to be disastrous. By this point, Sid was heavily addicted to drugs. Most of the tour was scheduled to be played in the South, and Malcolm admitted to booking redneck bars to provoke hostile situations. Oh, nice. Sid went completely off the rails. At various times, he spit blood at a woman who rushed the stage and punched him. Oh, my God. He called the audience a homophobic slur. He got into a fight with his own bodyguards, and he hit a fan in the head with his bass. When he was beaten up for trying to find drugs in Memphis, he wrote, quote, give me a fix on his chest but the jury is still out on whether or not he wrote it or carved it into his skin. Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not in a good place. Steve said this about why the U.S. tour was so disastrous. Quote, just everything. It was Sid just being an idiot, just wanting to get high and not trying to play bass. It was John just, we just was all drifting in different directions. We weren't a band, like a unit. It was all over the place, and America just made it worse because we weren't used to this big country and all of the attention. It was just a weird time, and just in two weeks, however, however long we were in the States. End quote. By this point, Steve and Paul couldn't stand being around Johnny, who had arguably the biggest ego in music history. So Johnny was isolated, since he was also disgusted with Sid's actions. The final stop on the tour was at the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco. 
For their encore, they played one song, which was a cover of a Stooges song. At the end of the song, Johnny said, quote, Ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Good night. Then he threw his microphone and walked off the stage. And just like that, the band was done. Really? Yep, that was the last time they were ever the Sex Pistols. What a baby. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty like iconic... Like, not many bands can go out that way. <laughs> Johnny left the band and announced it later while he was in New York. Steve, Paul, and Sid never performed together without Johnny, and Steve said it wouldn't have been the Sex Pistols if they decided to continue with a different singer. Johnny went on to form another band called Public Image Limited, known as PIL, which wasn't like the Sex Pistols and frustrated some of his fans, but Johnny didn't care. He also started a legal battle with Malcolm, who wouldn't let him use the name Johnny Rotten. Interesting. I guess he had a trademark or something. I don't know. They had a top ten hit, Pill Did, with their debut single called Public Image. Here is that song. That's public image. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. It's whatever. Along with working on PIL, Johnny has written an autobiography and released some solo stuff. Johnny has been married to a German publishing heiress since the late 70s. In 2020, wow. he announced that he had become her full-time caregiver since she had been suffering from Alzheimer's. For a what? Bit, <laughs> okay. What? I don't know. That just shocks me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's weird. For a bit after the breakup, Paul Cook and Steve Jones worked together on a film soundtrack in Brazil. Then they started a new band called The Professionals, but the group was <laughs> 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 but the group was beset by troubles from the start and, after Steve's drug problems, called it quits in the early 80s. Paul has popped up from time to time as a producer or as a session drummer, but he hasn't really been super involved in public life since his Sex Pistols days. He is still friends with Steve, and Steve gave, gave him his blessing to reform the professionals without him in 2015. So Paul is still out there touring with the professionals, and he lives in West London with his wife, Jenny Cook, who is in a new wave band called Culture Club. All right, Paul and Jenny. Yeah, Culture Club also had a, like a pretty big hit. So like a pretty big band. I feel like I know that name. I think you do too, yeah. I can't remember the name of their song off the top of my head, but I feel like you would know it. Oh, we're looking it up. Just Spotify it. Oh, it's Karma Chameleon. Oh, yeah. There you go. There's 
not a woman in this. Did she drop out? Uh, yeah, probably. Anyway, Steve Jones, after The Professionals, played as a guitarist on several recordings and tried to launch a bit of a solo career. He also hosted a daily radio program in L.A. called Jonesy's Jukebox. After a 10-plus year addiction to drugs, he was able to get sober in 1990, and he remains sober. Shut up. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. After he left the Sex Pistols, Glenn Matlock formed a new wave group called Rich Kids. He also briefly played in a band called Vicious White Kids with Sid Vicious as the singer. Interesting. Yeah, that, that surprised me. He played in a few other bands and played bass on an Iggy Pop album. He has since formed and reformed several different bands, and most recently, he's played bass for Blondie's 2022 UK and US tour. I didn't realize that they were touring. Yeah, they had like a reunion. After the Sex Pistols, Malcolm McLaren started to make his own music. <laughs> Do I know it? No. Oh. He tried a ton of different genres, including hip-hop, Latin, disco, and pop. Excuse me, Latin? (laughs) That got you and not hip-hop? Well, I mean, like, lots of people who have no business in hip-hop are trying to do hip-hop Latin. (laughs) Interesting. I mean, he's no Didi Ramon, or Didi King, sorry. Do you remember his... Yeah. Song, rap song. Okay. I do. <laughs> you it just was shrugged the one at me thing like ab- you had no idea what I was talking about. No, it's because my shoulders hurt. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is the thing that I remember the most. Are you kidding? <laughs> Other than his own music, he continued to produce for bands. He also turned to film production and was a part of a group that created Fashion Beast, a story that blended Beauty and the Beast with the life of Christian Dior. That sounds so dumb. <laughs> it sounds terrible. It also sounds incredibly capitalism, so. Yeah. He also uh, ran for mayor of London once. What? Talking about his career and legacy, he said, quote, I have been called many things. A, a charlatan, a con man, or most flatteringly, the culprit responsible for turning British popular culture into nothing more than a cheap marketing gimmick. End quote. Yeah, that, yeah, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. I think it was already that before him. Yeah. He passed away in 2010 of mesothelioma. I didn't know anyone actually died from that. I thought it was just a commercial. (laughs) Yes, he was just watching the commercial when he died. (laughs) (laughs) On October 11th, 1978, Sid and Nancy hosted a party at their New York hotel room. Wait, what year? 1978. Wow, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. Sid took about 30 pills and was basically comatose the rest of the night as people came and went. At 11 the next morning, Nancy was found dead in the bathroom with a knife wound to her stomach, and Sid was found wandering the hotel hallways. He first said that he killed her and then said that he remembered nothing. The murder weapon was determined to be a knife that Nancy had bought for Sid a few days earlier. Sid was arrested and gave conflicting reports saying that he stabbed her but never meant to kill her, that he didn't remember anything, and that she fell on the knife. Malcolm got Virgin Records to pay for all of the legal fees and always believed that Sid was innocent. His theory is that Nancy caught someone stealing money from their drawer that was always open and that person stabbed her using a knife, like using Sid's knife that was just nearby. 
Why is that his theory? And why is he suddenly a detective? I, there are a lot of people who might not go with that theory, but who thinks it was innocent because he had taken so many pills and was comatose. So it seems strange that he would suddenly wake up, stab his girlfriend, and then I don't know, pass back out. I don't know. But I also feel like, I mean, weren't they all saying that she was kind of like suicidal? Yeah. Yeah, that's possible too. I don't know, man. I don't think anyone will ever really know what happened right. that night. That sucks. So Malcolm got Virgin Records to pay for all the legal fees. Yeah, so we already said that. Isn't it so weird that we have things that are just like like businesses that are just like Virgin this, Virgin like what? Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. What? It's I think it's all the same company. Is it all Virgin? Yeah, Virgin Airlines, Virgin Record, like that's all the same. The Virgin Record store, like that was all. Oh, uh, the guy who started it, I can't remember his name, but he's like bleach blonde hair guy. Like he's just started this empire. Virgin uh, Mobile, I'm pretty sure it's the same. Anyway, stop it. So after that incident, kind of understandably, Cern pr- Sid turned pretty dark. And suffered from extreme depressive turned, episodes. Turned? Even more so. <laughs> in December of 1978, he was again arrested and charged with assault when he stabbed someone in the face with a broken beer bottle. He was taken to Rikers Island for a detoxification program. He completed that on February 1st, 1979, and left Rikers Island, where he promptly bumped into a friend and asked for heroin. Yeah. Which the friend found for him. And Sid died later that night of a drug overdose. Yeah. So that's kind of the story of where they all went after the Sex Pistols. Wow. That's like truly tragic. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. It's a crazy story. In recent years, the Sex Pistols have reunited on and off for like kind of one-off tours with Glenn as the bassist. I don't know that Johnny Rotten was ever involved in them. I think he was. They would have. He would have had to, right? Because the other guys were like, we're not going to do it without him. I think so. During their brief history, they were regarded as one of the most groundbreaking acts in the history of popular music. They were massively influential. One early show in Manchester, attended by roughly 40 people, was attended by people who were so influenced by that show that they went on to become successful artists. Members of the band Joy Division, The Smiths, and The Buzzcocks were all present that night. Who like all went on to become very big artists. Pete Townsend of The Who summed them up this way, quote, When you listen to the Sex Pistols, to Anarchy in the UK and Bodies and tracks like that, what immediately strikes you is that this is actually happening. This is a bloke with a brain on his shoulders who is actually saying something he sincerely believes is happening in the world, saying it with real venom and real passion. It touches you and it scares you. It makes you feel uncomfortable. It's like somebody saying, the Germans are coming and there's no way we're going to stop them. End quote. So that's the Sex Pistols. They were only a band for like three or four years, but like they left their mark for sure, which is something not a lot of bands can say. So, Lord. yeah, that's that's the story. You got you got anything to add? What am I supposed to say? <laughs> that's the general attitude when people hear the story of the Sex Pistols. What? Uh, yikes! <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I just feel like it was kind of the perfect storm of Johnny Rotten, who was wild, 
had like these kind of anti-establishment ideas already and then you pair that with Malcolm who was like manipulative and looking for that kind of sensationalist thing and he was able to just kind of like encourage that I just feel like it was a perfect little storm and it was happening around the same time that punk was kind of taken off like any other era with missing one or two pieces and the sex pistols never would have happened but they all just came together to like form that moment that's truly truly tragic I'm shocked that any of them made it out with like a normal life. I think Paul and Steve are doing all right. I mean, after Steve got sober, which is great. What a huge thing. That's so stinking cool. All right. Well, that's punk. I think we're officially moving on. Okay. (laughs) Next episode, we talk about new wave, which is, tied to punk but it's not punk it's like i don't know it's kind of ambiguous genre as most of them are at this mm-hmm. point and then we all talk about blondie which i really like so Yay. i was thinking one of blondie's albums is probably in my like top 20 favorite albums of wow. all time yeah we've never talked about top 20 we've only talked about like yeah this was like i love that album and i would say it's one of my favorites but i wouldn't put it top 10 right so like i was like it, it i mean it's top 20 so i don't know where it fits in the ranking but it's in there that's a fun little exercise because i was trying to think of it and i I think i got like seven or eight that i'm for sure are in my top Mm -hmm. and then after that it's a little murky Mm -hmm. all right any any send-offs for the people i have no time time Get more tired as the day goes. Okay, goodbye.